The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org. Earlier this week, I had a, a interesting discussion with, with my son. And it was one of those talks that it started out like really, really good and then took kind of a strange turn, okay? And I, I wanna relay how this went. Um, he's six, let me set that context, he's six. And um, it was after dinner, um, Rebecca had the girls, I think, starting the whole bath time, bedtime routine, and he was just, he had finished his supper, so he was eating his brownie, okay? And so he's sitting at the counter, eating his brownie. I'm across the counter from him, and I'm, I'm doing the dishes, okay? And he's just happily eating his brownie. There's brownie crumbs everywhere, but he's happy, okay? And then he says, you know what, Dad? We're a lot alike. I said, oh yeah, buddy, I think so, you know? He's like, we're a lot alike, Dad. I mean, think about it. We both love brownies. We're both boys, and we both love soccer. And I'm like, buddy, you're right. We are a lot of like. I mean, we, we both have blue eyes. We both have the name Robert in our names. You know, we, we are a lot of like. And then he goes this, and this is where the conversation took an interesting turn, okay? And I'm still kind of processing this part, but he says, yeah, dad, I mean, and think about it. We both love the Miami Dolphins. We both love Legos. We both love to pick our nose. We both love to run around. I go, okay, wait a minute. Could we, re- could we just rewind a little bit for a second? Okay, like I was tracking and then this took like a strange turn. And see, here's what I've realized about kids when they speak. It's revealing, okay? It's not only revealing about what's in their hearts, it's revealing about the environment that they're in because something in my practice has apparently alerted him to, uh, that I uh, appreciate as a hobby, like a listing with my hobbies something I thought I had left far behind me maybe 30 plus years ago, okay? See, kids, when they speak, I mean, it kind of reveals things. And man, when it reveals things going on in their hearts, going on in their minds, we want to lean in and hear what they're saying because, man, we love our kids. We love these sweet little babies that God has given us. And maybe your sweet little babies are now in their 20s, but they're still your sweet little babies, Maybe your sweet little babies now have even sweeter, littler babies. And uh, I'm not there yet, but I'm told, man, grandchildren are even better than children, okay? And I, I can't imagine that, but I'm told that that's true. Okay, we love the, the, the kids that God, our children that God has, has put in our lives. And yet at the same time, there is some, there's such hard work that we're called to. It's the, it's the hard work of knowing that we're responsible to train up and to shape these little ones in our lives. To influence these young adults, these teenagers, young adults, or still influence these fully grown adults with family of their own, or influence the future generations. Like we feel this call to train and to discipline and to shape the children that God has given us, to, given us. but it is such hard work to train into discipline. And a lot of times when we have this awesome responsibility for for our children, a lot of times what is so uh, challenging is it's like, look, all I know when it comes to discipline, all I know when it comes to shaping and influencing my children, all I know to do is either just kind of what's instinctual to me or what I grew up, grew up seeing. That's all I know to do. And so we feel this tension. Look, I, I want to, to send my, my kids and, and my future generations off in the right direction. 
I don't want to squash them. You know, I don't, as we talked about at one point earlier, we talked about the, the bar of soap. I don't want to squeeze them too tight so that they shoot out. I don't want to hold it too loose so they fall out. Like I, I know there's this awesome responsibility of disciplining, shaping their hearts, but it's hard to know exactly what to do. And I want to show you a passage in Scripture that it just lays out this one core concept of training, disciplining, and shaping your children. That if we can just reset this one kind of core idea of our responsibility in the lives of our children, man, so many things can build off of that in the right order. Now, here's the good news. This basic principle, if you're here and you're like, look, I, I don't have kids or I don't have young kids anymore, so I feel like this doesn't apply to me. That's the good news about this passage. Whether you don't have kids yet, this is probably the best time to start thinking about um, these ideas. But whether your children are little, whether you have grown children, they're teenagers, whether they're young adults, whether you're a grandparent, whether your children are fully adults, but you're still trying to think through how can I still influence them, this principle holds true. It's never too late to employ this. And this could be the one key principle that not only either cements that relationship or recovers that relationship with a child. This is not just pulling from whatever our instincts are, or whatever we've witnessed. This is God speaking into how do we shape our children? What do we do? I want you to check this out. We're going to go to Proverbs. We're going to go to Proverbs chapter 22, and we're going to look at 15, verse 15. Now, here's how we're going to operate with this proverb. We're going to look at this one proverb, slowly unpack it, and we're going to use other proverbs to, to help us dig into this one single proverb. So let's check this out. Proverbs chapter 22. We're going to take a look at verse 15. Here's what it says. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Let me read that one more time, because this is the main verse we're going to be really taking a look at. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Okay, let's break this apart, because there's actually, it seems really simple, but there's a lot in here. For starters, what does it mean, this word, folly? Folly is not really one of those words that we use in uh, modern conversations. It's kind of a Bible word, so let's define what do we mean by the word folly? What, is, what does the Bible mean when it's saying, when God spoke through the author of Proverbs and wrote the word folly, what is in God's mind as he's inspiring this to be written? What is folly? Folly is not just simply silliness. It's not nonsense. Folly is a core concept that the book of Proverbs is unpacking. Proverbs is unpacking, this entire book is unpacking the difference between wisdom and folly. It's pointing out how wisdom brings life and folly brings destruction. Let me just read this other proverb uh, that kind of speaks to what is folly. This is, I'm going to jump over. You can write this down and look at it later. This is Proverbs 19, verse 3. It says, when a man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. What is folly? 
Folly is what's going on inside that leads someone to make bad decisions and destroy their life. So it would be understandable that folly is the precise thing we want to get away from our children. That, is the, that kind of encapsulates it. We do not want our children to have folly in their relationships. We, will, we don't, whatever's happening inside, we don't want them to destroy uh, a future friendships, future marriages, future relationships with their kids. We don't want them to have folly regarding relationships. We don't want them to have folly inside their hearts as they're dealing with their finances. We want them to be healthy financially and making wise decisions financially. We want them to know how to handle their finances wisely, not with folly. We want them to handle um, their, their friendships, their sexuality, their, their profession. We want them to handle their profession, not with folly. We don't want them to have a, a series of, of employment where they just keep sabotaging and breaking down and destroying that. And they just bounce from job to job to job. No, we want them to have wisdom. So basically, folly and wisdom are great terms in talking about our kids we want to train up children we want to influence grown children we want to train up grandchildren to have wisdom not folly now what's interesting about that second proverb that we just read is what it says is when someone destroys their life by their own folly they rage against someone who did it say they rage against who was it the lord see here's the danger with folly it's the same issue inside that led that person into a bad decision. Is the same thing that's keeping them from learning and correcting themselves. What the danger with folly, the same thing, it's folly, the same thing that keeps that person keep losing their job is the same thing that's making that person believe the problem is everyone but them. You tracking with me? What's happening in this, it says, look, what happens is with, when someone's got folly inside, what's happening is they make a decision, they make a bad decision, they're wrecking their life, and then they rage against the Lord. Well, it's not my fault. Why did you do this to me, God? Whereas a wise person is going to make mistakes, but what they have inside is something has been ordered correctly inside, and there's this willingness to be humbled and to receive correction, to receive advice, to learn tough lessons, and to correct and to grow as a human being. See, we want all of those things. That's I mean, that pretty much summarizes, if we could look at what's one core thing we want for our children is not folly, but it's wisdom. So folly, okay, well, we definitely want that away. Like, how do we get that away from our kids? Where is folly? Like, how do we keep folly from getting to our kids? Is our folly, you know, with their crazy friends? Is folly, you know, is it at school? Is folly, like, where is folly? This passage addressed it. It says, folly is in the heart of a child. Now, that may sound obvious, but we need to pause on that for a second, because there's a view within our society that Folly is not in the heart of a child, that a child is born neutral, and if we get out of the way, we won't mess them up. 
there's this idea of, look, any training or discipline or influence on a child is forcing our agenda on a child. Now, can that happen? Absolutely. Absolutely, we can, we can force our expectations on a child and we can force them to not be uh, who God's created them to be. Absolutely. But what we want to do is we want to influence and train and bring them up to be who God has said that they are in his truth that he's spoken over their life. There's another view within parenting sometimes that's like, okay, I, I, my children, I, they're just perfect, beautiful little angels, and anyone who says anything about them, like, they're clearly, they don't know the same child that I know, and, and out of love doesn't realize, no, look, there are things inside every child. There's folly inside the heart of a child. Folly is on the inside. And here's the thing. We know this as adults, not only because we were children, we know this because we're around children. We've talked about this earlier in this series. If you can go back and check it out if you missed part of it, but we've talked about there's a notion that the best thing you can tell a child is to follow your heart. But what does the proverb say? This is God speaking. But folly's in the heart. And so what we want is we want to get that folly out of the heart. We, we know this to be true um, for example, if your child comes in to the kitchen and says, hey, mom, what's for dinner? You know, if you say, my son, just follow your heart. <laughs> we know what that's going to result in. It's going to be like, all right, ice cream for dinner, okay? Some of you, in your future, a lot of candy is going to be entering into your house sometime soon, okay? Yeah. There's going to be a lot of candy. Now, I'm just going to warn you, okay, if your approach to this wealth of candy that your child stumbles upon, if your approach is, my son, just follow your heart with all of this candy, okay? It's not going to go well for anyone, okay? It's not going to go well for your child, for their future trip to the dentist, for their sleep that night, their attitude the next day. It's not going to go well. We know this in our heart. We know this, we know this instinctively. We know that children, there's folly in their hearts. They need to learn wisdom. They're not born with wisdom. That is our responsibility. And so what does this fundamentally mean? Well, how do we, we know that there's folly, we don't want that, we know that it's in their heart, so how do we get it far from their hearts? How do we get it out of their hearts? It says it right here in the text. Folly is bound up in the heart of the child, that's where it is, it's in the heart. But the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Discipline from a parent, from, from a grandparent, discipline is what gets the folly out of their heart. Now, we're walking through this slowly, but hang here with me. Now, first thing, sometimes we come across this word, the rod of discipline. And it, if you're like me, when I hear like a rod being used for discipline, I think of someone like being caned, okay? Like I think of like a club and it's intimidating, like, whoa, what is Proverbs saying to do? And so let's just, let's just pause on this for a second. Because some of you are like, because I have a cane and I've been tempted, you know, like, okay. For starters, let's, let's talk about this. Um, we could go deep into this conversation and maybe another time that's appropriate, but let's just start here. For starters, the Bible 
never, never would condone abusing a child. Never. And in fact, us as the people of God, as a presence of Christ in our city, we should be a voice, a presence to protect and care for children. That's our, that's our function and our role in, in, our, in our city. In fact, what Jesus said, if you want to be the presence of Christ, here's some of the things that Jesus said. What Jesus said is, if you mess with one of these little ones, it will not go well for you when you stand before me one day. We should have that kind of ferocity when it comes to protecting children. That's what God says. That's what God speaks. God, on his heart, is the most vulnerable, and virtually always children are the most vulnerable in any society. We should be first and foremost advocate, advocates for protecting children. So what is he speaking here when he talks about the rod of discipline? This is a metaphor used all throughout the Old Testament. It's sometimes referred to God. It's sometimes referred to leaders. It's referred to various, various different uh, contexts. It's a metaphor for sometimes discipline, uh, sometimes rule, sometimes training. It's a rod is used in one of the most famous passages in the, in the Old Testament, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And goes through it at the end, he says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It's the same word used there in Psalm 23. And so think about the rod of a shepherd. A rod of a shepherd, it's, it's like a, a hook. And it's something that's used to gently and tenderly bring sheep and lambs back uh, back into the right place. It's something that's used to protect them. It's something that they would use to like scoop them up with the hook to scoop them out of danger. It's something used to protect them from uh, a wolf coming in. And it's something to sometimes keep them in line. And the spirit of how God uses the rod, it's that is, yes, it's corrective. Yes, it holds accountable, accountable but the, the rod from the good shepherd is something that comforts me. It's not something that I cower from. It's not something that terrorizes me. It's not something that I'm so fearful. It's not something that, that I, I remember with, with trauma. That's not the spirit of what this is saying. It's something that keeps in, in line. So in what context? Is there, a, is there a place for loving, gentle, responsible, controlled, physical punishment for a small child? I think in some cases with some families, I think that can be done appropriately if it's done in a way that's not bringing intimidation or fear or injury. It's something that's done in a calm, controlled, gentle, loving ma manner for small children. But here's the broader concept. I don't wanna go too far off on that discussion because that's a whole discussion in and of itself. Here's the broad concept. Discipline is absolutely required from a parent, consistent, loving, accountable discipline is required because folly is in the heart of all children. It's required. It's commanded. Listen to this proverb, um, chapter 29, Verse 15 says, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. 
You, we are commanded, another proverb, train up your child in the way he should go. That's a command. Parents, our children actually belong to him. Discipline is not an option for us. It's not our decision. It's something that God has said, I have entrusted to you. I know that you're not perfect. I've entrusted them to you. You're responsible to discipline your children. Sometimes we may be afraid to discipline because we love them too much. We don't wanna, we don't wanna hurt them or we don't wanna disappoint them or we don't wanna make them angry. That is us being disobedient to God and actually unloving to our children because we're folly brings to death, wisdom brings to life, and so what we are wanting to do, we're called to do, we're commanded to do, is to be faithful and consistent in bringing discipline to our children. Okay, but ultimately what this speaks to is something so important about the role of discipline with children. Discipline is working fundamentally on a child's heart because that's where the folly is. It's working fundamentally on the heart. So listen, if there's one key concept you could walk out of here, if, you're, if you take notes, jot this down, if there's one key concept, and this is true whether you have kids, grandkids, adult kids, teenage kids, one true concept, it's this, discipline. It's heart work. According to this, the point of discipline is to get folly out of the heart. It's shaping the heart of a child. It's wanting wisdom to be in the heart of the child. Discipline's not just hard work, it's heart work. It's shaping the actual fundamental of the heart. It's getting wisdom into the heart. So if it's getting wisdom into the heart, that means, there's, that, that means that there's a lot going on. Wow, I want them down into their heart to have wisdom when it comes to all of these categories. And it's, it's just difficult. How can I shape their heart to desire wisdom financially and wisdom relationally and professionally and academically and athletically? and sexually and spiritually, like of all these ways, man, I've got to shape their hearts on all of these categories. It's so, there's just so much. But scripture breaks it down and says, look, if you're wanting to shape the heart of your child, there's one fundamental place where you start. And if you get this in place, everything else can build on top of it. Here's what it says in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. You want wisdom for your child, for, for your life, for anyone's life? Here's what it says. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Parents, grandparents, future parents, you, you and I want wisdom in our children's lives. But what God says is, here's where you start. This is the foundation that everything else builds on. You want wise children? Draw them to have awe for Almighty God. Draw them to be awestruck by God. Wisdom, the foundation of wisdom is worship. You want them to make wise decisions in their relationships, in their finances, in their career. You want them to be healthy and thriving. Start here. They've got to have Almighty God, their Creator, in the right place, which is first. If spirituality is like one of the issues, then inevitably something else will become the idol in that child's life. The foundation 
is a life of, of worship. That's where we start. In the, in the Old Testament, the, one of the core passages in all of the Old Testament is in Deuteronomy. It's the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind and with all your strength. You shall keep this diligently in your heart, in your heart. And then says, and you shall train your children. It's right where it goes. Where fundamentally, what are we passing on to our children? It's that they would worship the Lord in their hearts. We're shaping their hearts. That means that discipline, if it's heart work, that means then there's some things that discipline is not. Here's one thing that discipline then is not. Discipline is for heart transformation, not just behavior modification. Discipline is for heart transformation, not just behavior modification. You know, behavior modification is what we do for our pets. Our pets, now some of you are like really attached to your pets, and, and this might offend you, but pets, they don't have a soul, okay? Now you're like, Fluffy has a soul. What are you talking about? Okay, I, okay Fluffy does, but everyone else's pet does not have a soul, doesn't have a heart. And so what we do, I mean, they have a heart. I should have never brought up pets. I should actually now <laughs> just go on a bad spot. All right. Children are somewhat different than pets. Can we at least agree with that? Okay. Um, pets, what you do is we, we house train pets. Now I've confessed this to you before and I'm going to bring this up again, but my confession to you is at one point in our lives, um, Rebecca and I we had two cats, okay? And um, these two cats, one of them was like, we, got, we rescued both of them um, off of the streets. They were strays. And one of them was wily like a ninja, okay? And it would like hide in the shadows. It was always super alert, like you could never sneak up on it. It would sneak up on us all the time. And um, the other one was not uh, wily like a ninja. The other one just ate. And it ate like it never knew when its next meal was coming. And so it would eat its food, and then it would push the ninja cat out of its way, and it would eat its food. And the ninja cat's too, like, got its head on a swivel, so it doesn't mind. And so you've got one, like, wily, lean ninja cat, and you've got one really obese, clumsy cat. Okay, these are the two, all right? And um, they would, like, get on the furniture, and so we tried different things, you know, because we're trying to, like, get, I don't want them on the furniture, so we'd get, like, a squirt bottle, and we'd squirt them with water when they got on the furniture, and that didn't work, you know, and so then we got, like, cold ice water in there and spray them, and, you know, they'd just clamor and go away, but they would just wait and try not to get caught, okay? So we found this device. It was called the Tattletail, and it was this little box, and you'd put it on a piece of furniture, and it's really, really sensitive, and so like the moment um, one of the cats would jump anywhere on that, that furniture, it would sense a vibration and it would set off this high pitched beep and it would scare the cat away, okay? Which, which uh, was actually kind of humorous because you'd be like in another room and all of a sudden you'd hear this like beep and you'd hear this like frantic like clamoring, okay? And if it was like the, the large cat, like you'd feel like stumbling and falling off the couch, okay? Because it wasn't very, you know, agile. But what happened with the ninja cat is the ninja cat, like, it, would, it now became a challenge, okay? And it could just land so gracefully, and it would, like, just slowly move up. And so that I'd come, and it would just be sitting right next to the little thing, like, what? You thought this would, <laughs> what, do you think this would change me? Like, get, get out of here, you know? This is my house. You're living in it, okay? Like, that's what it was attitude, all right? 
You have a pet, hopefully you have house trained this pet, but when it comes to pets, all that we're doing is it's behavior modification. You are trying to get rid of the annoying behaviors, you're trying to get rid of the unpresentable or embarrassing behaviors, you're house training your pet. But when it comes to children, we have children, they have a soul, they've made to be worshipers, they're reasoning, rationing human beings. We are being entrusted with their hearts. Discipline is heart work. It's not behavior modification. And when it's just behavior modification, there's dangers that we fall into. If you have little children or small grandchildren or you're about to have small children, the danger is if we see it as behavior modification, then we don't adjust the discipline based on the behaviors that reflect a heart issue. We adjust the discipline based on what behaviors are more of an inconvenience or an irritation. And so think about it. There, there may be a behavior if your children are little that is really ir irritating or really inconvenient or just frustrating, but it might be totally age appropriate and needs a lot of patience and a lot of instruction. Whereas, and doesn't really reflect a heart issue. But if it's about the heart, then I'm not really just dealing with behaviors that bother me. I'm looking for behaviors that reflect the heart. And I'm adjusting the, the discipline and the consequences based on shaping the heart. So for example, here's a litmus test. Behaviors that are not fun, but they're just age appropriate, like the proverbial spilling the milk at dinner. That's probably just a child learning just to be coordinated. But is my reaction to something that's just at the end of a long day, it's just like, ah, oh, why, Lord, you know? <laughs> but am I responding to something that's an innocent accident and doesn't reflect the heart? Am I re reacting with an intensity that is dealing with a behavior but not a heart issue? And maybe at the same time, neglecting behaviors that don't really bother me, but maybe I need to realize do reflect a heart issue. <clears throat> See, behavior is heart transformation, not just behavior modification. That's if you have small children. But what about if you have grown children, you have teenagers? If I'm treating it as Behavior modification. Here's the danger for grown kids. What motive do they have of continuing that behavior when you're not around? If their heart's not changed, then the moment they know they're not going to get in trouble, why would they continue to, with the behavior that you've wanted them to do? If one day when you're dropping them off at college or sending them off to college or one day when, you, when they're going to a friend's house or you're dropping them off at a, at a party or they go to a party, what motive, if it's dealing with the behaviors and not the heart, what motive do they have? What reason would they have to living out those behaviors if it's just behavior modification? See, Proverbs is, is really clear. Folly is in the heart. So that's what discipline is. It's heart work. Here's the second thing that discipline is not. The purpose of discipline, it's to train the heart of the child, not vent the heat of the parent. 
Discipline is to train the heart of the child, not vent the heat of the parent. And by the way, the heat of the parent and the heart of the child, you're probably going to have to pick one or the other because the heat of the parent can crush the heart of the child. When I'm disciplining and my discipline is in anger, whether it's the teenager that I'm just going to let them have it, or it's the little child looking up at me, receiving all of this frustration and anger and these angry words or this intimidating tone, what am I relaying to their heart? First of all, if I'm, if I'm disciplining in anger, the likelihood of me delivering the right, appropriate consequence, that is more and more unlikely the more angry I am because I'm not thinking clearly. But the second thing that we can sometimes do is when we're venting the heat of the parent, we can make our anger the discipline. So instead of helping them, their heart, we want their heart to learn wisdom. We want them to see, hey, when you make this decision, there are consequences that come with this decision. We, we almost want to remove ourselves out of the equation. Hey, when you've made this decision, you've chosen this consequence. That can and should be done completely unemotionally because it's just a truth. But when I make my anger the discipline, I'm, I'm loud and I'm angry and I'm shouting and I'm lecturing and, and you know, maybe even de demeaning and name calling and, and I say things that I can't take back, like you're a disappointment or I thought you knew better, or, I've trained you better than this. Man, that's so embarrassing to me and I, I'm just doing all these things. Now the motivator is one of two things. It's I'm gonna obey because I'm afraid and intimidated. I'm gonna obey because I don't wanna get shouted at. And I don't want to put that in the heart of my child. I don't want my child growing up with fear from me. I don't want my child growing up with, with even as a grown adult, I don't want to disappoint him. And when I make bad choices, I disappoint him. I want to put wisdom in, my, in the heart of my child, not intimidation, not fear, not wondering if they have my acceptance. I want them to constantly feel my love and my acceptance, and I want them to know this is a safe, gentle place you can return to. This is a safe place for you to make mistakes. This is a safe place where when you've done something wrong, we can work through it together. I want a constant, gentle, safe place right there with my kids, but at the same time, faith Faithfully, consistently holding them accountable that, hey, this is how the world works. This is how your life works. When you make a decision that's folly, there will be a consequence. But I want to remove my anger. And let me tell you something. There's no human alive that does not get angry. And so maybe the best thing to do is, hey, I need to walk away for a bit and cool off. Because I, don't, I want to bring wisdom to my, the heart of my child not anger and intimidation. There's one more thing that discipline then is not. If discipline is heart work, it's heart transformation, not behavior modification. It's to train the heart of the child, not vent the heat of the parent. And one last thing, discipline then is to protect the heart of the child, not the image of the parent. Discipline is to protect the heart of the child, not the image of the parent. See, what we want to do is we want the discipline and the consequences 
to, to not go up and down based on what's inconvenient or frustrating to me, but based on what's going on in the heart. But we also want the right consequences for what's going on in the heart, not the things that are just embarrassing or don't reflect well on me. And the challenge is what we can do sometimes as parents is the more embarrassing the behavior was, the more that behavior reflects poorly on me, that's when they get the most amount of heat. And what's happened is I'm caring more about the image of, my parent, of me as a parent rather than the heart of my child. But that doesn't reflect the heart of God, does it? He accepted humiliation on our behalf and total rejection. That's what we signed up for. We signed up for that moment in the grocery store that every parent has had that's very, very public. And still saying, you know what? I don't know any of these people and I don't care. I care about the heart of my child and what they know. If you've ever been involved in um, little league sports, you've seen a parent that is disciplining based on the image of that the child is reflecting the parent rather than the heart of the child. Not making that basket, not throwing that ball the right way, not doing that ballet move or hitting that note, that's probably not a heart issue. They're just trying their best. Well, that's the problem. They're not trying out there. Well, maybe you're forcing what you want them to do on them, and it's not what they want to do. Please, let's not discipline more for a missed free throw than something that reflects the heart. Do we care more about free throws or that they respect their mother? Which gets our heat, our intensity? It's not about the image of the parent, it's about the heart of the child. Discipline is heart work. You say, okay, well, there's a lot of what we shouldn't do, then what should we do? One simple thing to do. If we're gonna, if it's heart work, if it's about shaping the heart, giving them the wisdom to desire wisdom and ultimately be on a foundation of worshiping God, if that's what we want in their heart, and ultimately laying that foundation, well, we have to ultimately know their hearts, right? We've got to get to know their hearts. We've got to hear what's going on in their hearts. Man, how do I know what's in their heart? Very simple. One last scripture I want to read. This is a proverb, really, that Jesus spoke. It's in Luke chapter 6, verse 45. Listen to what he says. The good person out of the good treasures of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasures produces evil. And listen to this. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. How do you hear what's in someone's heart? Well, their mouth will speak it. Very simple. A lot of things that discipline is not. But if you're going to get to know the heart of your child, one simple thing you can do. Listen. We as parents have a lot of one-way conversations. A lot of lectures. The lectures didn't work on us. But, but listening. If you have small children, or you're about to have small children, or you're one day have small children, or you have small grandchildren, you have an incredible opportunity 
because they still want to talk to you. So listen. When they come home from school, mom, 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 let me tell you what we did on the playground. And you're thinking, it's probably about the same as what you tell me every day, but I'm game. Let's do this. And you have one or two options at that point. You can just stand there doing the dishes, not make eye contact, and just go, "Uh uh-huh, until the story ends. Or you can realize this is a golden opportunity to train them I want to listen to you and I care what's going on in your world. And this is not super important to me, but it's super important to you. So you can pick them up and put them on the counter and look them in the eyes and ask follow-up questions. Or you could maybe put the dishes down and get down on a knee and say, hey, tell me. Don't miss that opportunity if you have small grandchildren, small children, to set a culture of I care about what's in your heart. Because if you start with the things that are important to them, then they might be willing to share the things that are important to you. But now some of you are like, well, I have teenagers, so I don't know what I'm going to do there because teenagers don't want to talk at all, okay? Well, in any other part of your life, when you're faced with something that's important but feels impossible, do you give up? Fight for it, parents and grandparents. Start here. Start on their terms. That strange, weird music that they love, let them talk to you about it. Whatever their interests are, start on their terms. There's a movie they want to go see. See if they'll go see it with you. What's something that's interesting to them? Start on their terms. If you have older teenagers, you treat them like an adult. Talk, listen like you would an adult. Ask good questions like an adult. And by the way, if you have teenagers, you might need to do some change management. Because if you go home and you're like, tell me, you know, they're going to be like, what are you trying to do, dad? This is weird. <laughs> and you may need to do some change management and say, hey, I, I want to be better about this. I'd love to hear more. Would you be willing to share with me about it? You might have to just treat them like an adult. If you have teenagers and they actually start sharing with you a couple things you'll need to know. One, no matter what they say, don't freak out. So dad, that's why I'm thinking in a couple years I'm going to get a tattoo across my face like this. It's going to be amazing. And just go, hmm, interesting. Tell me why. You know, like don't launch into a lecture. You'll shut them down. If you have teenagers and they start to talk, some of them, they're sharp enough leaders, they're gonna see how much you wanna talk and they're gonna try and push your buttons and make it miserable. Don't bite, don't get angry. Be committed. It's that important. Regardless of how old your kids are, it's about reaching their heart. You know, this is, um, it's sometimes so hard when it comes to discipline. So many people I hear often, it's like, look, it's just so hard. This is not what I grew up at. I don't want to model what I grew up under, but man, it, you know, I don't know what else to do. I don't have any examples. Well, a couple things. First of all, there is an honor at being the one that God raises up to disrupt a family pattern. You're being called to change the future of your lineage. Take up that role. That's an honor. Secondly, you have been left with an incredible model. Your heavenly father is a perfect parent. No one has perfect parents. We all have a perfect heavenly father. And you know what? 
He was more about your heart than anything else. He wants your heart. He didn't let all your behaviors get in the way. And it's not because he's like, because I know your heart's good. That's not it. The Bible says our, our hearts are deeply wicked. And we were enemies of God. And he loves us so much that he took all of the punishment for our sins. That's justice for our sins is overwhelming what's actually just. It's an eternity in hell. And he took all of that rejection, humiliation, physical abuse. He was tortured and beaten and he died. Jesus dying on the cross. Paid for our sins, but rose again from the dead, defeating sin and death itself. And he says, now, I want your heart. And he placed the Holy Spirit inside of you to start changing your heart from the inside out. He wants your heart. And he just wanting you to be an agent in your children's life, to draw their hearts to him. Let's take a moment of just quiet reflection before the Lord. Would you bow your heads with me? I think there's some here that want to believe in God like that, that he actually loves your heart. And some of you just want to run home to your heavenly father. I just want to be welcomed and received. And maybe your concept of your heavenly father is just that he's just looking down and shaking his finger at your bad behavior. Of course, he sees the things that we do and he grieves for, for us when we do things that have reap consequences. And he's trying to draw us out of that, but he loves us and nothing changes from that consistent love. And maybe you just today need to receive that, believe that, and run home to your heavenly father. And if that's you, I just want to lead you in a simple prayer of accepting his love. Just silently, whether you're here, you're in Cooper City, you're watching online, just pray this silently. Just say, God, I believe that you love me. Thank you for wanting to save me. I believe that you took my punishment and that you're transforming my heart. I run to you. I will follow you, Jesus, in your name. Thanks for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at cityrev.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, you can email us at podcast at cityrev.org.